0: Well, I'm wondering this morning, did you hear about the couple that when the shelter in place started was stuck in the Maldives in a resort all by themselves? Everybody left and they ended up being there alone. Uh, So we have a picture of it. Good. You can check. This is the resort uh, that they were in. The New York Times said this. The resort comprises the entirety of its speck of an island. There's nowhere to go. The couple reign like benign yet captive sovereigns over their is- islet. The days are long and lazy. They sleep in, snorkel, lounge by the pool, repeat. Accustomed to the flow of a bustling workday and the engagement with a full house of guests, most of the staff, having grown listless and lonely, dote on the couple ceaselessly. They, the, their room boy checks on them five times a day the dining crew made them an elaborate candlelit dinner on the beach. Every night, performers still put on a show for them in the resort's restaurant. Two lone audience members in a grand dining hall. Now, I would venture to guess that most of us are experiencing a little bit less than that. Uh, The fortunate ones of us are locked in our homes, and uh, we're wearing the same pajamas day in and day out, um, we're trying not to listen to each other's Zoom conferences, right? And getting in each, each other's way. Um, those then are the ones who are sick and the bereaved who've tra- tragically lost loved ones. This is the painful aspect. And then there's those on the front lines the healthcare workers that we've heard about this morning already. The, they're stressed and overworked and uh, under resourced. And you take all those different groups of people and you ask, what do they share in common right now? And it's this longing to be set free. That's what we share in common this morning. Even the couple that was stuck in the Maldives, they ended up having to pay for every extra day that they were there. So they actually wanted to to get out. Um, And let me ask you this morning, what do you miss right now? What do you miss right now? In fact, why don't you put in the chat box the things that you're missing most right now? Let's let's get a little list going of what are the things that you missed. Is it being able to come and go as you please? Is it a good hug or even a high five from a friend? Or being able to see their smile. I walked into the room this morning and saw Emily and it was this striking moment of seeing another person besides the few that I've been with this whole time. Uh, We forget what it's like to live in real life. Maybe it's a sit down in your favorite restaurant or a haircut or being able to buy toilet paper after 7 a.m. To be free To be able to work in an environment that's properly suited to your work. Or to be free, on a more serious note, from the fear of exposure to the coronavirus. And then, of course, there's scores of people longing, longing for those who have been lost. These memories of life... um, before the outbreak are lodged into our minds and they serve an important role in our lives. They help us to understand why we feel the angst that we're currently feeling. It's because we know something better exists and we're longing for it. And it gives us something to look forward to as well, these memories. We know what life used to be like and we're, we're looking forward to the return of that life in the future. Well, at Easter, we focus on another memory, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this remembrance, this this memory, has an important role in our lives also. It speaks to what I would say is the longing under the longing, the, the deepest longing of our hearts. It explains why we sometimes experience such angst in life, n- not only during a coronavirus outbreak. Um, it gives us something good to look forward to. So we are in a season of longing that's, that's not just a season marked by the way that we handle this outbreak, but it's really a season that characterizes the entirety of, of human existence. Human existence is a season of longing. And we have this this memory embedded in our minds that helps us to navigate and to make sense of it. Now, I want to say this morning, this this is really one of the main points, that seasons of longing can actually be very good. The key is to steward those seasons well. And we have a tremendous opportunity while we're sheltering in place, while we're waiting, while we're experiencing uncertainty and some fear. We have a tremendous opportunity to steward the deepest longings of our heart in ways that will produce spiritual fruit. The first step in that process is to know what it is that you're really longing for. And the Bible tells us we were meant for, we were actually designed for something better than the life we're currently living. Not even just the shelter in place life, not the outbreak life, but even the normal life. We were actually designed for something better than that life. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he demonstrates in the flesh what that life looks like. And through his death and then his resurrection, he gives us a vision for the kind of life that we were actually designed for and intended to live in the first place. This morning we're looking in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you would open to 1 Corinthians 15 with me, I want to read from various portions of 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. And we're not going to read the entire chapter but we're basically going to cover most of the material in this chapter. And in the first verses, verses 1 through 8, we have what I would say is probably if not the cle- one of if not the clearest articulations of the gospel. Now, the gospel just means good news. Um, we talk about the gospel frequently in the church. We hear about it in the scripture. Um, it just simply means good news. Now, what is the good news that Jesus brings here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8, we have what is perhaps one of the clearest articulations of the gospel. Let me read it for us this morning. Now, I would remind you, this is by uh, the Apostle Paul, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for sins, our sins, in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's who we know as Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now note, this again is one of the clearest articulations of the gospel in the Bible. Uh, And it's a message, the good news of Jesus Christ is a message in which a person stands. It's not just for the beginning of the journey of relationship with God. A person stands ongoingly in the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul takes pains to communicate that what happened with Jesus, this resurrection from the dead, as extraordinary as it is, really did, in fact, happen. All throughout this chapter, he will raise that point. But in particular, if you look at the second part of um, of uh, second part of um, verse fourteen, for example, uh, he says, uh, "And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith." is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it's true that He did not, the dead are not raised. And then he goes on to explain that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the very core of Christianity. It's the very center of the Christian faith. And without it, you have no Christian faith. The resurrection according to Paul, happened And in the resurrection, God is breaking the standard rules, right? The natural laws, the the way that the world works, God is, is breaking through that because he wants to make a very essential point to us as human beings. God has lodged this resurrection of Jesus in our consciousness for a reason. And the future of all who are in Christ is that they will be raised with Christ. And what does that mean? What is it what does the resurrection mean? What does it mean to be in Christ and to be raised with Christ, which is the promise of 1 Corinthians 15. It's it's that vision which is lodged into our minds and reframes the way that we walk through the world in which we live. Well, Paul goes on in this chapter to describe what is meant by the resurrection, what it's like. And he talks about how when Christ was raised from the dead, he was both the same as before, but different as well. He he had a physical body, so that part doesn't go away. He ate fish in the presence of the disciples, but his physical body was altogether different. It was more glorious, more wonderful, more whole more perfect, impervious to suffering and sickness and death. And you remember that scene where Thomas meets the risen Jesus, and Jesus' scars are still present, but they, they no longer are open wounds. They've been, they've been healed in his glorious body. These are the glimpses, the pictures we have of what it's like to be resurrected. What the resurrection is like. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to describe it in this way. Look with me in verses 42 through 45. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. And, and what he's talking about there in what is sown is our earthly life. What is sown, our earthly life, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, right? That's what we're living in right now. We're living in the dishonor of a a, a broken world that's not what it was intended to be. And, And we're not who we were intended to be. We're living in the midst of that brokenness and sin. It was sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Oh, we're so familiar with the weakness right now, right? So many things out of our control. Um, So many uncertainties surround us. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, Paul says. Now, He doesn't mean by spiritual body, um, one that just exists as spirit, that's not physical in any way. What he means by that is all the facets of our human existence, our mind, soul, and body are now unified in perfection. That's what the spiritual body is, is, is that all the pieces are cooperating and working finally together in perfection. That's what the spiritual body is. The aspects of who we were intended to be are unified in wholeness. And the difference between now and then, between what we're living right now and that future moment that Paul is describing is to me kind of like the difference between sheltering in place and not sheltering in place, right? Our personhood right now is being flattened into a kind of, Two dimensions, right? As we meet with one another online, we connect over Zoom or video conferencing of other other kinds, and and we're seeing these two-dimensional versions. And our voices are mediated uh, through um, technology, and so we don't get to hear the natural timbers of our voices. We don't get to experience the the smile, the face. We don't get to touch one another. We don't get to hug. We don't get to smell one another, which actually might be a good thing at this moment because we've all been in our pajamas for four weeks, right? But we don't get that experience of reality that we so long for. And there's going to come a day when when that changes, when we get released from this shelter in place, and that's going to be an amazing experience. And, and to me, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like uh, when we will be released from this exer- earthly existence into the heavenly bodies that God is preparing for us. The vision of what's we see in the risen Jesus Christ on that day we're going to have that experience of being set free, and all those longings under which we have labored will be realized in their fullness. It will be so beautiful. And right now we're just we're just experiencing uh, whiffs of that future life. This this Monday I think it was early in the week. My son shared some surf wax with melted, and immediately i could experience in my body right the sensation of being at the beach being able to ride the waves i could experience it just from the smell of the wax in my nose and in many respects this earthly existence is like that whiff of what could be and what will be one day and when we shelter in place and the, the diminished life that we're experiencing right now is sort of like a it's sort of like a parable of what one day will be when we're released into the fullness of God, what God has for us. Now, until then, both until we're released and then until the actual culmination of all things in Jesus Christ, when He now is not the only one who's been raised, but but all who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, all who've attached themselves to Jesus, who, as the Bible says, are in Christ, will be raised into that same life, we have this season of longing. And I want to say to you this morning that this season of longing, as hard as it is, is not all bad. It just means that we need to take care to steward it well. So that's really my second point this morning, to steward our longings well. Longings can be a tremendous blessing, actually, if we will steward them well. In fact, this is one of the major themes throughout the Bible. Living in the meantime, waiting for the fulfillment of the promises of God. This is part of so much of what we read in the scriptures, all the great characters of the Bible had to wait. They waited in faith, but their waiting was not meaningless. It was, it was a waiting that produced fruit in their lives. And, and we can take that posture right now. We can wait like them right now. We can wait in such a way that the waiting and the longing produces fruit spiritual fruit goods fruit in our lives well how do you do that a few things that come out of this passage and in fact these are just a few um, in the next weeks we're going to be looking at what it means to wait well and so I hope that you will join us because there's not even time this morning to dig into all the different elements of of what it means to wait well, many scriptures talk about this. We're going to look at um, this particular um, expression here in, in 1 Corinthians 15 about waiting well, but I just not it can't cover it all. So let me just say a few things about waiting well. The first one is this: keep standing in the gospel. Waiting well means keeping on standing in the gospel. That's what we have in verse 1. But then also in verse 58, at the very end of the chapter, it's almost like this idea of steadfastness is bookending the chapter. Um, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labors are not in vain. Now, um, this past week in Time Magazine there was an article about Christianity, and it was entitled "Christianity Offers No Answers About the Coronavirus." It's not supposed to. The author, author goes on to say, "No doubt the usual silly suspects will tell us why God is doing this to us—a punishment? Question mark. A warning? A sign?" And then he goes on to say, "These are knee-jerk would-be." Christian reactions. Now, um, I would grant, and I think we all have to acknowledge, there's a tremendous amount of mystery surrounding the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, and as the article very eloquently states, lament is the biblical way of emoting over loss and suffering. In fact, over the previous weeks, as as the uh, outbreak began to come upon us, and we began to change our our preaching topics. We've had two weeks where we really looked deeply into lament because we believe it's it's such an important part of how we navigate this season. And those are online; you can look at those uh, if you haven't had a chance to hear them. Um, if you want to think through what it means to lament well, so so there's a lot of mystery around this outbreak. We can't explain everything that's happening. Absolutely. And yet, it's inaccurate to say that Christianity offers no answers. Uh, For example, one, and this comes out of our text, is that the existence of sickness in the world to begin with is traceable back to Adam and Eve and the existence of sin in the world. This is the teaching of the Bible that sin came into the world. And then on the heels of sin, decay and brokenness and things like suffering and disease, like COVID-19, followed on the heels of the existence of sin in the world. And in a time like this, isn't it true that we're a little bit more in touch with the fragility of life and the awesome power of the universe that God made has? And in fact, God himself, I mean... Uh, This tiny virus, which you can't even see, is bringing the entire world to a screeching halt. It's remarkable what's happening. And if this reality induces some self-reflection and maybe some some humbling, um, some honesty about our misplaced self-importance as human beings, and maybe even a desire for us to get right with God, then that's a good thing. If this little virus brings about a season of reflection and repentance, that's a good thing. The good news is that at Easter, in Christ, God comes to us with outstretched arms in forgiveness to show us grace. And if in moments of reflection, we're brought near to our own sinfulness and failures and weaknesses, and with that comes perhaps a little hopelessness uh, and fear, we've got this God whose posture towards us is in love Willing to stoop to us in the person of Jesus Christ to open his arms to us and welcome us in. All of that is good. And so if in this time of reflection and stillness and calm, God is creating to cast off unhealthy attachments. That's actually really good spiritual fruit. That's a good work that God wants to do in all of our lives. And he's there right in the middle of it by his spirit. And so stewarding our longings well means keep on standing in the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let it soak into deeper and deeper recesses of your soul. Making you more and more aware of just how good and loving and forgiving Is the God that we worship. That's the first one. Keep standing in God's gospel. The second one is keep doing God's work. We already read verse 58, which is the last one, which in addition to saying we need to be steadfast and immovable, it says keep abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, it feels like there's a lot that we can't do while we're sheltering in place, right? We're we're stuck. What can we do? We we can't even get out and do our Count Me In ministry, which we would love to be doing. There are very few ways for us to take action. But here's some things that we can do. We can pray. And I mean this. Prayer is active. All the the, the good things that we do, the beginning of all fruitful action is, is in prayer, Wouldn't it be great to just maybe take one of those Netflix sessions that we have during the day and convert that into a time of prayer just to come before the Lord and say, God, what do you want of me? Who do you want me to reach out to right now? How do you want me to express the love that you've expressed towards me and Jesus towards the people around me? And we can love the people As God answers those prayers in our hearts that we are in contact with. You know, the really famous chapter... uh in 1 Corinthians is is, is chapter 13, and it's, and, and it's about love. And it just happens two chapters before the text that we're reading. And I know that many of us are sort of crammed in our homes right now, and we're living on top of each other, and that creates extra kinds of conflict and struggle. Um, it's hard. It's hard to be sheltering in place. And I want to remind us of a portion of 1 Corinthians 13, which is so powerful and gives us a vision for what it looks like truly to love one another. And this might be hard in some ways, but it can be a vision for us to maybe slow down and maybe this is the good work that God is doing in our hearts during this time when we're sheltering in place. 1 Corinthians 13 verse four says this, love is patient and kind. This is what it means We're stuck in our homes, piled on top of each other. It's what it means to love one another. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. I love this. Love bears all things, right? This is this is in those tough moments, right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is an awesome vision and a powerful calling. And we actually need God's help to be able to live that out in our homes During this time. And and that's why God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us when we're beyond our own weak and frail capacities, to, to fill us with the capability, the power to love beyond what we could do in our own strength. It's a beautiful gift. And then on the other side, you know, some of us are crammed in on top of each other. Some of us are starved for human contact, living alone. And my heart, breaks each day as I think about people who are not having that touch. And and as a community of followers of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm speaking to our church right now especially. It is our calling to reach out to those who are isolated, to express love in the ways that we can through texts and phone calls and and Zoom calls and whatever so that we can try to mitigate the sense of isolation that people might be experiencing during this time. And we we need to reach out to one another in the family of God. We need to reach out beyond the family of God. You've got neighbors. You've got people that are connected to you who are living alone and in isolation. And it's so easy to be a blessing to somebody by reaching out to keep tabs on our sisters and brothers. I came across a helpful tool this week. It's entitled, Who Am I Going to Be During COVID-19? And it's a kind of a chart, and it gives you a process, a way of thinking through who you will be in this season. And I just want to call attention to a link in the bulletin to that particular graphic so that you can uh, pull it up. And maybe it'll provide some reflection for you over the coming weeks week. Um, That document is going to help us uh, in this coming season as we navigate. Um, But I'm going to leave that second point there. Keep doing God's work to go to my third one, and that's this. Keep hoping in God's victory. Keep hoping in God's victory. I have to take us to the main passage for us this morning, the most powerful one, starting in verse 50 in chapter 15. Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And sleep is a metaphor for death there. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. You see the vision of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just a picture of what's going to happen to all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ who have been cleansed by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the resurrection Easter message, that we have victory in Jesus Christ over sin and death. We we're going we're gonna to step out of, of sheltering in place, and it's going to be amazing. and you're going to be able to hug people again, and you're going to be able to go to your favorite restaurant and eat with people again, and you're going to be able to, you know, talk to them in person and laugh with them. Uh, but that's going to pale in comparison to the moment when we step out of this earthly existence into the imperishable existence. That's hope for us today. That's hope in a more sober note is available to to all in the midst of the death that that is mounting around us. That hope sings over the top of all that we are experiencing right now. Nicholas Walterstorff, who's a philosopher from Yale, lost his son in a climbing accident. He wrote this, he said, when we have overcome Absence with phone calls, winglessness with airplanes, summer heat with air conditioning. When we have overcome all these and much more besides, then there will abide two things with which we must cope, the evil in our hearts and death. The message of Easter, the message of Resurrection Day, the message of 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, the message of the entire Bible, is that God has coped with the evil in our hearts and with death. Only God, only Jesus died on the cross, an atoning sacrifice for sin. And only Jesus was raised from the dead to demonstrate victory over death. And that message of hope is meant for us in times like this. That vision of the resurrection is meant to be lodged in our minds for times just like this one so that we can wait well. So we can allow God to do the work in us that He wants to do while we're longing for something we can taste, we've been able to catch glimpses of, something we know is far superior to what we're experiencing right now. So the message for us this Easter, you know, keep longing for what's better. That's good. And while you're longing, In waiting, keep on letting God do his good work in you to bear beautiful spiritual fruit in the name of Jesus Christ.